0: Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock.
1: Our guest today is Jake Goldbass, the drummer for Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Jake has played with a number of different artists over the years, including people like Aretha Franklin, Dave Brubeck, Patty Austin, Joshua Redman, Stefan Harris, and Christian McBride. Jake earned both his bachelor's and master's degrees at Manhattan School of Music as a recipient of a presidential scholarship. In 2010, he was nominated for a Grammy Award with Bobby Sanabria and the MSM Afro-Cuban Jazz Orchestra on the album Kenya Revisited Live. Jake was appointed musical director for the National Arts Awards, where he led tributes to Tony Bennett, Herbie Hancock, Lady Gaga, and Esperanza Spalding. Jake and I had a really fun conversation on the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today is Jake Goldbass. We have something in common, which I just found out. We are (laughs) nutmeggers.
0: That's right, eight six zero baby, we're here. Is a
1: gang sign for this?
0: I don't, I don't know how to do three things with my yeah. hands. Yeah, exactly. But
1: yeah, eight six zero. I never heard that. It's funny,
0: man. I'm gonna start saying that.
1: <laughs> You're like what? Yeah,
0: it's, it's not a tough area code. Yeah,
1: hardcore man, suburbs. Ben, you know what? Right. When I was when I was a kid. And first of all, I love the movie The Warriors for some reason. I just find it like it's a cult classic. It's it's bad, but right. it's, it's still, I don't know, something intriguing about it. But right. back when I was a kid, I used to want to have a gang, and we called ourselves the Condors. <laughs>
0: the Condors. <laughs> We're large birds. Yeah. That's right. Don't yeah. fuck with us, man. <laughs> That's right. Condors, come on. I'm, I'm into it. Oh,
1: man. Well, welcome. I'm an an honorary condor today. Yeah, man. I'm going to initiate you into the gang of the condors.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. We just talk about Broadway stuff. (laughs) That's
1: how hardcore we are, man. (laughs) That's
0: right. Eight shows a week, baby. (laughs) Fuck with us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you're from Connecticut, from Simsbury?
0: Yeah. Yeah, from Simsbury. Grew up outside of Hartford, Um, lived in New York City until I was about eight. Um, Yeah. Moved around a bit in and out of the city, but yeah, loved, loved growing up outside of Hartford and Simsbury. Got to go to a a really great um, performing arts magnet school called the greater Hartford Academy for the performing arts Mm. um, where, you know, I was really lucky to study with some just amazing musicians. And one of the special things about the school is that you didn't have to have a teaching certificate to teach at the school. You just had to be a badass artist. So the best artists in, Connecticut and in that area, were teaching at the school. And so I felt like I was really getting, you know, just the real deal. I mean, they were all amazing teaching artists and really, you know, amazing at just capturing the essence of what it means to be a great artist. But yeah, I, I learned a lot. Really great drummer named Jim, Jim Oblon, um, who, you know, plays for Paul Simon now and a million, million folks. Great saxophonist, Jimmy Green, um, that really mentored me. And yeah, thankful for it.
1: What was it that got you into, uh, into drums?
0: So growing up, like going in and out of the city, um, I remember it was, I was maybe like four or five and, um, we were going to a museum or something, or maybe we were going to see a Broadway show or something, but we were at one of those, um, subway stations that has like an express train and a local train going by either side. in one of those platforms, and I remember I was looking around and you know, everybody was kind of like, you know, disgruntled classic New Yorker situation where people like weren't looking up from the newspaper, just, you know, everybody's in their own little world. And then this guy set up these three buckets and had these sticks that were like whittled down to nothing. You know, I I don't even think they were, you could call them drumsticks anymore. And he started playing the most infectious groove and people like put down their newspaper, started looking at each other, smiling, smiling. And I just remember feeling the groove and just thinking, I want to have that, that kind of power. So I got home and just like rummaged through all the recyclables and started creating my own little kit. And yeah, the rest is history.
1: Your parents bought you a drum set shortly afterwards?
0: No, they, you know, they said, um, they got me a practice pad and said that if I took drum lessons and stuck with the practice pad for a year, that they would get me something. And then, uh, my mom worked for the Connecticut commission on the arts. And I remember there was like a custodian or something who had an old Slingerland kit and it was one holiday season. I got, got that drum kit after having the pad for a while and just, you know, I had the practice pad, but then I put like, I was just grabbing buckets and stuff and I made it into a drum kit until I had a drum kit.
1: Did you start taking lessons from private lessons right after that?
0: I did, you know, I was always, I have like extreme ADD and so drum lessons were always tough for me. Like I never, I never wanted to like learn how to read music. And, you know, I was always just like wanted them to show me the tricks and show me, the thing that they would do that was kind of fancy and just like hyper focus on that. So, I feel like I just jumped around from teacher to teacher until I really like landed in high school and kind of like got gotten to a place where um, drum lessons were really valuable to me. Was
1: there a drummer or drummers that you looked up to when you were, you know, in that phase of your life that you like, you know what? I want to be like this.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I was really I was obsessed with like Mambo and Tito Puente and Tito Rodriguez and all these guys. And I just, I loved like Timbales and Congas. And I, I just wanted to, I wanted to be in that, uh, I don't know. I, I just love the way that a timbal player like directs the band and guides like the ultimate quarterback. Like everything is just a perfect, you know, a perfect play. So I just loved, you know, love Tito Puente, love Tito Rodriguez. Who else? I mean, I loved rock and pop and, and hip hop and, you know, pretty much. I didn't really get into jazz deeply until I was in high school. So, you know, once I hit high school, that flood of Art Blakey and Elvin Jones and Philly Joe Jones and all of the, you know, masters of jazz and the legends kind of came into my life and took over for the, ne- the that following 10 years, probably, you know, from like 14 to 24, I was just deep diving. Still am, but yeah.
1: Was there any kind of rock or other pop influences in your life or was it mostly focused on the jazz players?
0: no you know i was um my dad was a huge tower power fan so i you know early on he um my folks are not musicians they're um you know visual artists and like in, in the arts world and i they uh are just huge music lovers and so my dad was always playing records and i would listen to david Gearballing. i just i remember this really funny moment looking back on it where my dad was like. This is two drummers. It's got to be two drummers, like in Tower Power. <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, no, David Garibaldi's just playing the crap out of those drums. But so you know, listen to like Back to Oakland. Those those records were really influential early on. I was trying to play along to him. My dad would like crank the stereo, and I would just play along, try to try to get it going.
1: From what I understand, you won some awards when you were at
0: that age, right? Didn't you win some kind of awards um, when you were in yeah, high school? Yeah. Or- uh, I, I think, you know, it was, it was definitely the world of like jazz competitions and things where, um, you know, I, I applied to everything, not really expecting to get any sort of, you know, um, recognition, but I got, uh, an award from the national young arts foundation. They, um, they had a, a group where you, you audition, the organization's still around. It does amazing work, um, where they award, kind of the, I guess, you know, the best and brightest high schoolers in every arts discipline. So they pick a jazz group, they pick one person on each instrument to create a jazz combo. And they send you down to Miami for a week and you work with like Wynton Marsalis and a bunch of different, you know, um, kind of, yeah, famous world renowned artists um, in a kind of hyper-focused way. And they send you out to like perform at the Monterey jazz festival. And they send us to like Paris. It was like a whole, It was a whole thing in high school. And it really, you know, up until then, I didn't think I could really have a career in the arts and and young arts um, really kind of solidified and gave me that extra boost of confidence to chase it.
1: Did you know what kind of uh, direction you wanted to go in? Did you say, you know, at that point, I want to play drums for Dear Evan Hansen? (laughs) <laughs> well, there wasn't that show at the time, but
0: right. I, yeah, I mean i always I always had the, you know, the highest respect for Broadway and for the musicians that played in pits. And I thought, you know, that seemed like a dream that was unattainable at that age for me. i, I didn't even I didn't even dream of playing in a Broadway pit. I kind of just dreamed of making money, playing drums, doing anything, whatever that meant. It didn't have to be a dream gig to me. It was just, um, you know, I was just h- kind of hustling throughout high school and I was, I was playing a lot of restaurant gigs, um, you know, right by the, from the second I could get my license, I was driving around the state and playing, um, with older musicians and just kind of observing how they operated in the world. And, you know, just trying to soak up everything about, you know, I just really admired people who could make a living in the arts. And I, I just kind of was hyper-focused on the joy of bringing music into people's lives
1: after high school you went to study music in
0: in uh in college yes i went to the manhattan school of music for my undergraduate and then master's degree
1: now why manhattan school of music and i always ask this to people (laughs) why why not berkeley or juilliard or north texas state or something like that yeah
0: yeah i mean the honest answer is that um, oh, I, I, I met, I met, <laughs> Hey, come on. you I, uh, <laughs> eight, six, I think the totally tr- <laughs> that's right, eight, six, <laughs> oh, condors and we, um, you know, I, the totally honest answer is that I met some amazing musicians that were put in that group for young arts with me in my last year of high school. We went down to Miami and traveled around and the bass player from that band was this amazing bassist who became a really close friend named Jeff Picker. And he was a bass player that was, not just better than any bass player I had played with up until that point, he was just light years and exponentially, you know, became like home base for me as a drummer. And I just thought, Hey, Jeff, like we applied to the same schools, wherever you pick, I'm going to go. And so, you know, he said, I want to do MSM. I said, let's do it. You know? So we, we were roommates and it just was, I knew that if I went there with Jeff, I was going to have a great bass player to play with. And we know as drummers that's everything. And so, I knew I would continue to be able to like develop as a drummer wherever I went because I had the hunger to do it. But knowing that Jeff was going to be there, you know, was just made the decision a little easier.
1: So you got to New York city and were you uh, doing a lot of gigs while you were in school at the same time or was school taking up most of your, your focus?
0: Um, I was always doing a million things. Like I said, you know, I have like extreme ADD. So I was like, you know, hyper-focused on playing in the bands that were at school and, you know, people, Manhattan School of Music is a pretty like heavy duty conservatory. So a lot of musicians that were getting their master's degree there um, were professional musicians out in the real world, you know, who may have, they might've been in their thirties or forties that were coming back to get a master's after touring around the world. And so they were there and would have last minute opportunities to like sub a rehearsal in their band if, you know, Jeff Tain Watts was gonna play with them, but he couldn't make the rehearsal. They'd say like, hey, Jake, you know, I'm like this young, hungry drummer who could, you know, who could hang a little bit. They would say, hey, can you cover this rehearsal from 2.30 to four until Jeff can come? And I'd be like, yes, of course, I'll be there. And, you know, I'll shine his shoes. I'll do whatever, you know what I mean? So I was there to, to just do as much as I could. And, you know, if people asked me to play a gig that was, you know, a guitarist from Columbia, would say like, hey, do you you know do you know how to play like this you know weird six eight thing from Columbia? You know, I have a gig next week. I'd be like, yeah, I know how to do it, and then I just figure out how to do it. But before that next week gig, and just you know, I was always uh, you know say yes, then figure it out. Was kind of my, my motto. <laughs> That's great,
1: man. That's great. Uh, you got your master's degree. Now, what what made you decide to go that route? I mean, did you want to have a degree so you can teach, or you just want to just keep learning?
0: Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to want to do with it, but I knew that if I left, I wouldn't want to go back. And so I felt like, uh, you know, I was all set up. I had a good thing going. I was playing in, you know, the jazz orchestra, like the Philharmonic there where it's like the orchestra and the big band. And it was really kind of a thrill. And I just thought, you know, I really enjoyed it. I got to study with the guru, John Riley, who, you know, really just kicked my ass consistently for all six years that I got to study with him. And so, um, yeah, getting an opportunity to work with him for an extra two years, it was, it was a no brainer. I was really lucky to get some assistance from the school to make it happen too. So it it Mm. made, it just made sense in the moment.
1: Did you do any tours right after that? Or did you stay in New York city? What was your path right after college?
0: Yeah. Right after college, uh, I mean, I was just, I was just working, you know, I, I, I was really lucky to tour these first few years after school with, um, a great jazz vocalist by the name of Alan Harris. Um, and Alan does like a Nat King cold tour and a, you know, a bunch of different, um, he really covered a lot of ground and, and he had a lot of international recognition. And so, um, yeah, he's, he also been kind of like a breeding ground for New York drummers like Greg Hutchinson and Obed Calver and, Drum Jennings, all these guys had worked with Allen. And so just getting the opportunity, it all just worked out where, you know, a friend of mine kind of became his MD um, right out of school, Pascal LaBeouf. And so hired me onto the scene. And I just, you know, two weeks after graduating, we were playing at the Umbria Jazz Festival and doing a lot of European touring. And, you know, we just did long stretches. You know, he was really as close to like an old school entertainer gig as you could get. You know what I mean? He really knew how to transform any crowd, whether it was like a really cold, you know, audience in the middle of nowhere that wasn't ready for it. He was just able to turn it on, like had all the tricks, the jokes, the winks, the, you know, silky voice. He was just, I was learning a lot from him and his wife, Pat, uh, as his manager and just watching the two of them operate. That was kind of my first, those first two years, you know, we had a weekly gig at smoke, um, on a hundred and sixth street in Broadway um, every Sunday. And so that was, that was kind of a goal of mine, like moving to New York. I was like, gosh, get a weekly gig at like a great jazz club where I can play the house kid and, you know, get in there. So getting to do Sundays there with him, it was just kind of a nice grounding. um, Yeah. Grounding part of my early career out of school.
1: Well, you went on to perform with people like Patty Austin and Aretha Franklin, Dave Brubeck and, and Stefan Harris, did that short did that
0: <laughs> come? Yeah, right? yeah. No, those are all those are all different. Uh, you know, just different stories, kind of through um, through that time. You know, through like finishing high school and being in college, and you know, each of those names that you just mentioned is its own hour. You know, like I got to work with. All right, I got some time. I um, know, re- <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um,
1: well, tell me about yeah, tell was, me about Patty yeah. Austin, because you know. I loved, you know, Patty and Dave Brubeck and Aretha, but tell me a little bit about Patty. How'd you get to work with Patty Austin? I'm curious.
0: I got to work with Patty through Alan, through Alan Harris. So Mm -hmm. the gentleman we were just speaking with, um, Patty would come maybe like once or twice a year to smoke to that Sunday residency that we had. And uh, she would come up and I think, you know, one time she sang it from her seat, like the... um, there I go, there I go, there I go, there I go. Like Moody's mood for love and Alan and Patty would do it as a duet and they were old friends. And then, um, Patty was like with somebody at her table and got my number. And then I got to work with her for, um, like a few dates. It was like in the Midwest or something. But yeah, (laughs) that was, that was kind of, that was kind of the, the Patty Austin hurricane that came through my life. It wasn't, um, it was, it was a very, um, just special experience to hear someone's voice that you grow up listening to uh coming out of your monitor, you know? That's so, so cool, man. She's
1: one, she has one of the greatest voices ever. And I think she's, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. If I would say she's underrated because she's done so many great things, but a lot of people don't really know how many things she's done, especially back in the day when she used to do a lot of jingles and her, her voice was everywhere.
0: Her voice was everywhere. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, another, I got to, I got to record. I guess this is like two or three years ago with the OJ's for their um, their last record called "The Last Word." And Betty Wright, who actually just passed away, was one of the producers and kind of like in the. She was in the in there the whole time and really hands on in the whole process of making the record. And I felt like Betty was a real bucket list for me because she really had her hands on so much of soul music, you Mm -hmm. know, over the last you know hundred years. It's really like, you know, she was a real turning point. You know, she, she, sang
1: cleanup woman, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah we're talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great,
1: great guitar line that a lot of uh, rappers sampled
0: and stole. Exactly. Totally. And she worked with, you know, a lot of like, you know, Pharrell and, and P Diddy and all of those guys really leaned on Betty for a lot of their, their hits. She was like in the room mm. for a lot of that stuff.
1: Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. One, one other story. And we'll go to another topic i want to talk about aretha franklin tell me about aretha franklin
0: yeah i um i got connected to aretha through um a mentor of mine growing up the great bernard purdy who uh, his wife is a, a jazz singer that i got to work with and um you know bernard just kind of i met him really early on and i was one of like a million young hungry drummers that just wanted to ask him a million questions but i i kind of like held off and just wanted to like you know create a relationship with him and i really um just appreciated his his kindness to me over the years and and he he connected me to aretha's team and i got to play percussion um in aretha's band for a couple dates upstate this was like maybe a year before she passed away and mm. yeah i just remember bernard like coming in and out of my life through since i've played the drums as a really like warm and encouraging character. Like he's brought me on to uh, so to some various boards of nonprofit organizations that he was involved in. He's like got um I don't know. I had this one gig that I played on. I'm not gonna name any names, but the I played this gig at Birdland um with an artist who I, I was really close friends with this singer. And she had a group of artists that she had worked with a lot, this band. Um, and she wanted me to play percussion on her gig. It was like a CD release show. And so I was the outside person, friends with her, but not friends with the rest of the band coming in and just, you know, just doing my thing. But the drummer just kind of had it out for me. Like he just wasn't, he just was not like being a nice person. This was like, I don't know, maybe whatever, eight years ago. And so I'm in the rehearsals. It was the music of James Taylor and Carol King. And like, you know, it's not much like percussion action to happen on those tunes. You know, I'm playing some shakers, congas, like light stuff. And in the rehearsal, the drummer, you know, he's just being so cold. Like, won't look at me. I'm trying to just like make a connection, just get like a warm energy happening. And, you know, at the beginning of one tune, before we started rehearsing, I was like, Hey, so yeah, like what, you know, what do you, what do you think you want me to play on, you know, on this one, you know, just cause it was another tune that could have gone in any direction. You know, if he wanted to have me lay out for a while and play some certain, and he looked at me and he was like, I don't know what you should play was what he said to me in store. so i was like oh, okay come on so then we get to the gig at birdland and it was one of the early sets it was like six to eight and the band after us was kevin mahogany and bernard was playing drums i had no idea that bernard was going to be there that night and so i was playing and bernard purdy walks through the door you know massive presence and walks directly up to the front of the bandstand like the edge of the stage looks at me and goes like this <laughs> like gives me like a big air hug and like praise hands for those who are you know just listening in you know he gave he just walked right up the stage right to me not to anyone else and then the whole band all these guys who have been such jerks to me through the rehearsal process start smiling at me like looking at me in the eye like enjoying every little moment of what i'm doing and then after asking me if i can introduce them to bernard and it was just such a funny moment where maybe bernard actually came in there and realized that these guys were giving me the cold shoulder for no reason mm. and wanted to like change the temperature because he's just a, a master of energy in a room. And I just, I was so thankful to him just turning, you know, making that into a turning point of like, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing anything wrong here. <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing. You know, he came in, you
1: know, He came in and just anointed you. He's like,
0: he did, he came in and united me, right? Yeah. He came in the with crown. The Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. For now, I'm playing shaker. You know, I wasn't doing anything special.
1: So yeah. you know, Bernard, now you want to say be nice to me? Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know, sometimes that happens. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the same person that I was last week, and
0: uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, you just have to treat everybody like they're your colleague for life. You know? Exactly.
1: You just never know. You know, this business is cyclical and it's it's up and down and you, you know when you're on the way up you know the same people you meet on the way up are probably the same people you're going to meet on the way down and it's going to be downs so yeah you need we need to support each other and and just don't you know i i have a, a post on instagram that features a, a motto that says be good to people and yeah. pe- people should just do that
0: well, <laughs> yeah, it's not that. It's, it's not, not rocket science. You know what I mean? We're not out here curing cancer. Like the stakes are, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to make people feel good. And exactly. Yeah. So it was, yeah. And I think Bernard just really knew how to make people feel good and yes, make people did. feel seen. Whether it's just his presence
1: or through his drumming. Yeah, definitely. What, what, you know, other than just realizing his, his aura, <laughs> what, what is one thing that you'd say that you learned from Bernard?
0: He always, you know, he always told me like one line of some, like one line of advice and he wouldn't go in depth about it. He would never get like musically scientific about things. And I really appreciated this like esoteric mindset about like, like for example, I'd play a gig, I'd come off stage and he would look at me and he'd be like, you know, eating something and like having a beer and he would just be like, Jake if you want to work forever, you got to put the bass drum right where the singer wants it. And I'd be like, okay, I'll think about that for like months. You know what I mean? Every day I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, right where the singer wants it. Okay. Where's that going to be? And, and you know, and, and the more you think about it though, when the bass drum is in the right place on the downbeat and it actually is, you know, an intentional ass bass drum on the downbeat where the singer wants it, You work for life. It's like, that's, that is kind of the key. So it was a lot of things like that, you know, and maybe it was because that night, maybe he watched me like take a cue from a singer and I, you know, didn't direct the band in correctly. So, you know, it might've just been, instead of him dissecting that, he gave me some, something to chew on.
1: That's great, man. I... Remember talking to uh, Buddy Williams years ago when I first got to New York, and you know he would lay some wisdom on me too, and little little nuggets of wisdom would would come out here and there, and you know you gotta kind of gotta listen to the people that are successful because they're they're successful for a reason. So Definitely. whatever whatever they say, you know, listen to what they have to say, and then t- try to d- digest it and. Uh, and uh, regurgitate it. I don't know if that's the right Absolutely.
0: <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Absorb it and yeah, let it, you know, it comes out naturally. Like you don't, you don't have to force a lesson like that. It's just something that's in the back of your mind and you live with.
1: Well, speaking of uh, words of wisdom, since you've done so much in your life so far and you have so much more to go, what's one thing that you would say to a young person coming to New York City now? Well, I know I'm saying now, but Yeah, It's it's a different scene now because of what happened, but someone that wants to become a professional musician in New York City, what's one piece of advice that you'd give
0: them? One piece of advice. I feel like, you know, there's a lot, there's obviously a million things I could say about the craft of drumming and being a part of, you know, a musical unit and all those things that you have to pay attention to, but there's so much that you can do as an artist, as a musician, to put yourself in another league before you even play a note. And so I would say there's one thing, you know, if you're not early, you're late. And so if you live by, if you're not early, you're late, you will automatically be in another category of people that someone's gonna hire. You just automatically will be out of, there's a whole legion of folks that are not early. You know, maybe they're right on time. Maybe they're like two minutes, five minutes late. If you're not early, you're late. And if you come into New York with that mindset and you stick to it for like ever, then you're, I think that will automatically be a step up in the the competition of, you know, concrete jungle. I got to remember that myself. (laughs) 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 I keep fucking up,
1: man. (laughs) Maybe that's why I can't keep the gig. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. (laughs) Yeah, Right. Yeah, right. I'm going to have to go back to the gang life, man.
0: <laughs> Condors. <laughs> if you're not early, you're late. Condors. Assemble. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> <that's right. laughs> throwing up my scene, my C sign. That's right. That's right. So, uh, I think the last time I saw you was on a subway platform mm. after a show. You were at Dear Four times. In the before times, I was at Ain't Too Proud, and you were at uh, Dear Evan Hansen, and we wound up taking the subway back uptown. Now you do all kinds of music, and I was checking out some of your videos and watching uh, something that you did recently. I guess with Michael Olatuja doing a uh, Dear Evan Hansen.
0: Oh, nice! Version. Oh, cool!
1: Man, I love playing oh. with Michael. Man, he is just—I know—he just, he has I a know. feel. He just he, and plus Ooh. his his energy again. His he's a kind his of person. Aura. Yeah, he has the aura of just niceness, but his yeah. playing just speaks for itself. And uh, yeah. I saw some other stuff on YouTube, which you're doing a lot of creative stuff, which I think is just, it's just, you have a way of expressing yourself on the drums. You had something where you were playing with like a cymbal on the snare drum and it was outside and there was a dancer. I forgot what that was.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was a project years ago um that a really great artist who i've worked with named Kenyon adams he's the artistic director at a um, place called grace farms in connecticut and before they were building this new structure they wanted to bring artists out to like break the ground before you know when it was a construction site before they put up the theater and mm. so he said you know we bring out some artists i got you know a, a great dancer friend of mine raymond pinto and um yeah, two other musicians, Jonathan Raginis on saxophone and Russell Hall on bass. And we just improvised for like 10 minutes while the sun was coming down in that golden hour with a really good um, filmmaker named Ben Stamper. And we, uh, yeah, created something to just, I guess, you know, bless the area before the, the structure went up. It's beautiful, man. I, I, oh, it reminds me of the things
1: that I used to do playing in different bands and just being really, really creative. Now, it's, it's a, it's a complete... The complete opposite of what we do as a musician right. on a broadway show you had to do the yeah. same thing in the same way pretty much pretty much the same thing I mean, he's like 99 exactly same the same thing. <laughs> right it's locked tell me how you got the gig at dear evan hansen
0: so i think you know everybody gets a gig because they know somebody um on some level and i had a a friend who, you know, became like, you know, like family now named Jamie Ebelin, who's is amazing Broadway drummer and just drummer in all styles. And so I knew Jamie, um, kind of just through our mutual friend groups. He was at NYU when I was at Manhattan school of music. And, you know, we just had a lot of friends, um, throughout the time. And he was playing Jeremy Hansen um, at second stage when it was off Broadway. And I think, you know, it was, I had only subbed on one Broadway show before that on the color purple. And the, I know you are also subbing in there. That's kind of like my first, you know, exposure to you was like in an email chain from Jared about, you know, a change up in the, in the charts or something else. I was like, oh, click crack. Oh man. He's like playing all these different Broadway shows. It's crazy. So the, um, so I met Jamie, I, I kind of just like cold messaged him knowing that we we're, you know, just friends through, our mutual friends were like really close mutual friends. Like the people who we both were really close with, we we just knew each other through them. So I reached out and told him I would just want to come and see the show and watch him play it. And he, you know, was kind enough to let me come into this like tiny little drum nest at second stage that, you know, I, I think at the time didn't have air conditioning and it was like a little sweatshed that he was, um, you know, working out, you know, eight shows a week for the you know few months that they were doing the run. And, Um, I heard the music, thought the music was amazing. Um, and he told me, you know, there were murmurs of them going to Broadway and, um, I was, I was a little too busy. I think in those two months to sub on the off Broadway show, because I knew I was going to have to prepare it and then maybe just get to do it once. And so he said, you know, no worries. I have some folks coming in right now, but I'd love to come and have you sub, um, if it comes to Broadway. So then when I got the news that it was coming to Broadway, um, I worked on the book before they opened and got in there and subbed i think it opened uh early december and i subbed my first show in like early january like a month into the run so um i was in there really early and you know fortunately enough for me jamie's like one of the most sought after drummers in new york and was working on a bunch of other shows and different things that were taking him away um from the show for extended periods of time and so i was covering leaves of absence for you know six or eight weeks you know he did a this Prince of Broadway show out in Japan for like, you know, two or three months, and and I got to do the show eight shows a week for those three month periods. So it kind of it allowed me to become second in command behind Jamie, and then when Jamie finally um, decided to leave the show for some other opportunities, I got to take over. So um, it's I feel like I've been a part of the show since it's you know beginnings on Broadway, but I always have to give you know a major shout out to Jamie for the opportunity. It changed my life to have my first Broadway chair.
1: So what did you do to prepare to sub the show?
0: Oh man. I, I probably played, you know, the actual, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a good, now I'm a good reader. You know, I can read music well at this point, but because I was not always a good reader, Um, I, I feel like I have to work like three times harder than everybody else when it comes to something with charts. So I just go a little insane and I just listen to 16 bar phrases a million times and write down in pencil over the chart, exactly what Jamie was doing and taking videos of him and listening to it nonstop, getting it up to the point where I could play the show fully with the, um, conductor cam that was like in a drop box that jamie had sent me and so i i practiced along to that with the charts and leading up to doing the show i played the show every day fully the show as if i was doing the show and i played it every day for probably like 30 days um leading up to the time when i did it so that by the time somebody told me that you're ready to sub a broadway show by the time you play your first show you're totally sick of it
1: absolutely oh my god that's the, the greatest thing anyone said on this podcast so far
0: <laughs> no, so seriously. I, I just went completely over you yeah. know i went completely overkill to the point where you know jamie knew that i was taking it seriously because when i would come in to watch him i would be like oh you know like are you dropping the shaker on beat two or on you know the end of two or just tiny minutia that i knew i wanted to do it exactly like jamie if he was going like boom I was going to play my right hand on this far crash and my right hand on this middle crash and not bonk to left because I knew that it would sound different than if I was crossing over just like Jamie. So I tried to sit the way he did, just do everything exactly like him. And, you know, the best Broadway subs um, are invisible. You know, you don't even know their subs. And that's, I think, um, yeah, just something that, you know, as someone who has a chair is no news is good news when you have a sub come in
1: yeah i've told stories of when i did off broadway shows and i would take off And then i was at a wedding one time and i got i saw a call from the musical oh, no. director i was like oh, no. know, it, was, it was like you know <laughs> 11 o'clock and i'm like oh man what's going on and then i called and found out the person was not allowed to come back for for oh snap because they changed the sound of the V drums and other stuff. but
0: with- Oh my God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, we're not going for the donkey vibe. Yeah. We don't want donkey sound. This is fiddler on the roof. Come on, man. Yeah. Get out of here. It was a
1: mess, but yeah, you don't want to get that call and you don't want to you know, say, you know, how, how did this person do last night? Oh no, no. So yeah. yeah. Well, what advice would you give to someone that wants to sub and, you know, they, you know, want to sub Dear Evan Hansen, what would you recommend that they do? Do the same thing you did or something different?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it when it comes to the playing. It's right. If you sound exactly like the drummer that's doing it and you know, when you're playing it exactly the way the drummer's doing it, because you can't even hear the drummer when you're playing along to the Dropbox thing. If you can hear a fill they're playing that you're not playing, you're not playing exactly what they're doing on that, you know, that part or whatever it is, just every piece of minutia, you have to just go above and beyond because then you're ready for if there's, you know, if a singer rushes or if the click messes up, or if something happens, you're so ready to do it because you're not even thinking about the music. You need to become like, you know, you need to be parachuting above yourself when all the nerves set in and when th- certain things happen because you're, a part of something so much larger than just the drummer. So that's what I really appreciate about Broadway is the stakes are so high um, that, you know, I enjoy that fear of just like, I can't mess this up. And the fact that I get scared every time, you know, the lights come down and you get the, the call. I think that's what's so special about it. You know, it's everyone in that building really cares deeply, even if, even if, you know, it over time turns into, you know, a very like fun hang, you know, down in the locker room or wherever you're like hanging out beforehand. I know, you know, guys, it seems like they're not about to play a show because they're just relaxing having a cup of coffee, like talking about the Yankees or whatever. And then two seconds later, it's game time. And these are the best in the world that, you know, take it really seriously. And so the stakes are high. And I, I'm just thinking about sub stuff and it's bringing me to another story. I'm sorry, but we, um, The first show that i ever subbed was the color purple and i had never subbed for a show before and so i you know honestly like went insane and just like drove myself crazy getting ready for it and jared asked me if i could play um it was valentine's day um two shows with a with a um potential third on that sunday and it was kind of like if you do well at this matinee you got the evening show like i have somebody he's like i kind of have somebody else lined up but like you know he wanted me to like do a couple of whatever and i remember i got in there that day and i had been practicing so hard and i'd been down there a bunch of times and i actually knew michael Olatuja really well because so i worked with him in his band and that's kind of like the way that i was able to get in there was because michael vouched for my you know professionalism in that situation and the drummer who had subbed for me the night, who had subbed for Jared the night before I came in, had really messed up, and something went really wrong in the show, and that person didn't get called back. I don't know who it was. I still don't really actually know who it was, but you know, the drummer is usually invisible in these situations, especially you know, you're a sub the, the actors don't know fully what's going on. But because a sub had messed up the night before, Jennifer Hudson, Cynthia Revo, Danielle everybody in that cast came by the drums before the show started to say you good? good yeah. you good <laughs> and this is the first time i've ever suffered on Broadway show i was so scared i was wow. like yeah yeah, i'm good i'm good i'm good you know what i mean they knew they had heard i was shitting down there you know beforehand i was yeah. like playing through the bows, and like they had heard that I'm, I'm okay you know i think the musicians weren't worried you know about me but it was just so as someone who now i know how weird that is for a sub to actually like have the cast on my ass before the show for yeah. my first show. That is not normal. So I was, I was extra nervous, but it obviously, you know, it went fine and I I, I got to do the rest of the weekend.
1: Every night they would, at least Danielle would come and mess with Jason or whoever <laughs> in the pit. And she was so funny. She can I know. <laughs> in my in my experience, she would like alleviate some of the tension with her antics down there. But yeah, totally. See, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I First time I met Jennifer Hudson was backstage. She was just chilling. And I was like, Hi, my, my name is Clayton. I'm, I'm something at the show. She's like, Hi, my name is Jennifer Hudson. I'm like, I know who
0: you are. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Hudson. Like, I knew who, exactly. What? Yeah. You <laughs> said, Jennifer Floodson? Sorry, cool. Yeah, nice
1: cool. You're, you're, the, yeah. you're in the ensemble, right? It's like,
0: yeah, right. Oh, cool. <laughs> Stage manager. or What do you, you bring in sushi? What, what's happening? Yeah. No, yeah, that is hilarious. Yeah, that
1: cast was just off the chain, man. And just listening yeah, to Erivo, uh, my God. Oh,
0: my. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. I just, it was such a thrill to have that be my, you know, first opportunity to play in a Broadway pit, you know, play with Michael and yes, you know, just every, everybody, you know, Alvin, that whole, that whole crew down there. Um, I just had the, you know, so much admiration and respect for the way that they brought it, you know, it always felt just felt real. You know what I mean? I got to see, I I was like next to people. We were rocking out. It felt really nice. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really great, great experience. And I think, that really allowed me, you know, to get a foot in the door. So that when I reached out to Jamie, he knew, Oh, you know, cause he knew I could play because he had seen me play some random bar gigs and things that, you know, he knew I could play, but being able to actually be in the belly of the beast is a different thing. So I think him knowing that I successfully didn't get booted out of the color purple, you know, sub scene, it meant something to him in terms of the trust in me to sub for him.
1: So speaking of subs, What thing would you say to someone that wants to be a Broadway musician? What should they never do?
0: (laughs) Oh, I think there's a, there's a couple things, you know, but I, and I think it's a lot of times it's like more nuanced than the obvious situation. So I think like for me, even though I have a lot to talk about with other musicians down, um, you know, downstairs when we're off stage and I have a lot of things I can add to the conversations. I think the band, especially at Dear Evan Hansen really appreciated that I was allowing that to be their space before the show began and not, um, necessarily needing to jump in every conversation. And I think, Um, as a sub, you're coming into someone's place of work that they go every day, basically, except for Mondays, um, 52 weeks out of the year. And um, I tried to really allow that to be a sacred space for those musicians. And yeah, I, I I think sometimes it's more just filtering yourself from the second you walk through that door, just to know that just take a back seat and there's a lot going on here. And sometimes you just don't need to even make an impression. And over time you'll make an impression and let your work speak for itself.
1: Man, you are like full of like deep thoughts here, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like this, man. If you don't,
1: what's the the last thing you said? If you, don't leave an impression. You leave an impression. What was the
0: something? Uh, some I don't know. We'll, we'll have to play it back. Yeah, we exactly. can. We can always fix it in post production. It's going to sound so nice. <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna make this. This is gonna be four minutes long. I think by the end of it.
1: <laughs> man, oh man. So, uh, how long were you? You know, did you have the dear Evan Hansen gig before the shutdown?
0: Um, I was about two years um before the shutdown but like i said i was kind of doing like half the shows for the first two years because jamie was taking a lot of leaves of absences um and so he had these various shows that he'd leave to the play and so um it felt like i was the drummer the whole time you know i I kind of had this really nice relationship with the show and so yeah i um i i was going into my third year of playing the show full time. And, uh, yeah, it was, and I feel like I was just starting to get, uh, you know, into the flow of having the chair, you know, and there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that I just learned and I'm excited to kind of get a clean slate going back into it in December when we reopen on December 11th. I'm excited to like try to do it better than I did last time. You know, I think I feel good about how I was playing the show and everything, but, there's a whole system to keeping track of your chair, not just with subs, but with all the equipment and, you know, like marking when heads need to be changed and when, you know, when sticks need to be ordered and all these things that I'm excited to kind of, you know, it's that feeling of going back to school. It's like, you want to get your pencils in order and you want to, you know, you want to make sure your backpack is fresh. It was like, that's the, that's my vibe going into this. So
1: when you were, uh, taking over for uh uh yeah jamie yeah for jamie i'm sorry when you take it over for jamie during the leaves of absence were you in charge of the subs coming in or was he in
0: charge of Uh, i i was in charge of uh getting subs um and you know i i really i really wanted to i really wanted to have the chair someday and have a chair someday. And I knew that it would make a good impression on the musical director, Ben Cohn, and to the contractor, Michael Aarons that I was taking care of business when I was in there. So, you know, I made sure that, you know, subs were booked like way in advance. I was trying to do six, seven, eight shows a week while Jamie was gone um, and try, you know, even though I didn't have to, there was no contractual obligation to, to do that, but I just wanted to show them rather than tell them that I was prepared for this opportunity.
1: Did you keep all of the subs that you had when you didn't have the chair?
0: I fired you... all of them. The second I got the chair, no, no, no. I got I the same one. Y'all are gone. Toast. Yeah. Sick it's of you new mother. sheriff in town. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You thought you knew this show? Get out of here. No, 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 same, same cats. Uh, same drummers were subbing, um, subbing for me that were subbing for Jamie. I brought on, um brought on a new new sub my friend zach mullings um amazing drummer that um hadn't subbed on broadway before and i knew i wanted to give someone else the opportunity to come into this world that wasn't already subbing on you know six other shows and he really you know rose to the challenge killed it and now he subs like on a bunch of different shows around town
1: it feels good to do that and you bring somebody that's from the outside in because they gotta find a way in somehow But at the same time, you know, you have to be responsible to the bigger picture, which is the show. You got to make sure that they can do it. What do you do to make sure that a new person that hasn't prepared, what do you do to make sure that they're ready
0: to step in? Um, You know, I think I do a lot of due diligence. You know, I, I like, I talk to some other folks that have worked with them. If it's not someone that's a friend of mine, I mean, Zach, I really knew zach had subbed for me in a bunch of pop situations um beforehand that were not in the broadway scene and so for some of those gigs that he had subbed for me on it was one um i had music direct and drum for an artist named michael bloom and we were doing a bunch of festivals and there was one that i was gonna have to miss around the time that my son was born four years ago and i remember i brought zach in to sub for me and he had made you know, handwritten charts, had notes on everything, directed the shit out of the band. He was so prepared and the seriousness with which he took this gig that I had brought him in for, let me know that he was prepared to take this other gig very seriously. And so I could tell he had an incredible attention to detail and worked a little harder than everybody else. And, you know, it was, um, it was a pleasure to bring him into the Dear Evan Hansen Folds. And yeah, I just, I just knew he was going to kill it just from like very transparent conversations about like how prepared he would have to be and how, um, he would have to play it exactly the way that I do it.
1: Um, people that want to reach out to someone like yourself and they want to get into the whole Broadway scene. Sure. There are, there are things that people do that, that may, that might turn people off. There are things that are like, Oh my God, this person might be kind of interesting to bring in. Have there, what kind of things do you suggest someone do to reach out to someone like yourself or even myself or anyone else that that plays shows in order to try to break into the scene?
0: Um, I think you never have to be apologetic when you're reaching out to someone who has a Broadway show um, and just being very forward and transparent. I mean, I think honesty is the best policy and like, we're not Um, I don't think you have to disguise it. Like you really want to be my friend or, you know, you want to like get coffee and learn more about me. Like I, you know, I understand that I have a really great gig that I'm really thankful for. And I have the opportunity to have subs and you either have room for subs or you don't. And so I think a lot of the nicest emails that I've received have just been very respectful to the fact that I have this job and that they would um, like to sub for me if the opportunity um, presented itself and they would like to come and see me wa- play the book, even though they know I don't meet anyone in the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think things are, the landscape's going to be different now post pandemic in terms of folks coming to watch me play the show. Um, Cause you know, beforehand it was, you know, just a little more relaxed where if, if there was someone who three down three years down the line, I might need to sub, um, I would have no problem having them come and, you know, watch me play the show. But now I think it needs to be someone who is going to be coming in, um, pretty soon. You know, it has to be a real thing. So, you know, I, I think I'm interested to see how it all looks and feels. I mean, you're, you're going to be back in it before I will. Um, so I'll be asking you how, (laughs) how it feels, but you know, the, the situation for me is that, You know, I would love, I'd love to hear from folks. And I think, you know, just read through your email twice, make sure there's no typos, Um, you know, this is, you're making a first impression on somebody. If I don't know you, you know, let me know something about you in a short, you know, make your, your email should not be more than two paragraphs. Probably shouldn't be more than one paragraph. And, you know, you should try to know someone else in the scene that you can reference. if you don't, there's easy ways to get to know other people in the scene, whether it's where they're playing around town, meeting them. Um, you know, it's it's music. People are playing around New York City. A lot of people in the bands that we both play in, Ain't Too Proud Band and the Dear Evan Hansen Band, they're playing around town. I think, you know, you can find a way to know someone in the scene so that, you know, Rob Jost, the bass player at Dear Evan Hansen can say, oh, yeah, yeah. I met this guy, you know, at Rockwood last week when I was playing with this folk singer and, you know, really nice guy, you should have him in, you know what I mean? He's, he's not a, he's not a serial killer. You can bring him in, you know, like that's the, the energy that I think there just needs to be an awareness of what's going on.
1: You have endorsements with different drum companies. Peisty? I
0: do. Yeah. I play Paiste Cymbals and Vic Firth Sticks. Um... Yeah. I love, I love Pisces cymbals. Um, I think they're really, you know, versatile, versatile, great cymbals. Um, yeah, just really, I'm, I'm into it. No, I'm into Vic big, big for sticks. kind of like this, you know, the standard in, in drumsticks. I really, you know, just appreciate getting to play fresh sticks a lot of the time, you know, just as a drummer yeah. on a, ner- on a nerdy level, it's, it's really a great feeling when you get to play fresh sticks. So.
1: Especially having eight shows a week, or even doing six or seven, <laughs> you go through a lot totally. of sticks. Why Piesty and that's not for sure. Meinl or Zildjian.
0: Yeah, I um, I'm trying to. Th- I mean, I'm not I'm not the biggest um like drum nerd in those in those classic ways of like knowing the differences between things. And I definitely love the sound of minor symbols. I love the sound of Zildjian symbols. I love, you know, I just love the sound of drums and symbols, but I felt like, um, was really making some, just some beautiful like complex symbols for some of the jazz stuff that I play that I really appreciated. And, um, another kind of like mentor and someone I really look up to is Steve Jordan and you know, Vinnie Caliuta, all these guys that play it, you know, these symbols, Greg Hutchinson, I I heard the ones that they were playing. I'm like, well, they make those. That's, That's awesome. You know, so I was happy to basically take any opportunity I could to get some free swag. You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of great drummers, top five drummers of all time.
0: Go. Oh man, this is the hardest question you've asked me all day. The top five drummers for me of all time are Art Blakey, John Bonham, Tito Puente, Earl Palmer, and Bernard Purdy. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> starting five. Yeah, that's my that's my all-star team. <laughs> that's right. Bernard's playing big forward. He's, he's in the paint. Do like,
1: have a, a starting five drummers against another starting five. Right. I
0: don't know. I'd probably have a different starting five if it was <laughs> going to be on the court. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, my my mine would be like all the five, all five would be one guy it'd be Tony Williams, <laughs> be shooting three pointers.
0: Nice. Yeah, just <laughs> Duncan. He's the he's the Doctor J of drums for sure.
1: Man, speaking yeah. of Doctor J, I met him. That's another good thing about playing shows. Before you know, we shut down, we were able yeah. to have people backstage and get to meet our heroes.
0: You got you to know, meet Dr. J.
1: I got to meet Dr. J, dude. It's like, yeah, wow. uh, I'm looking up. By the way, nobody can see me. Like,
0: <laughs> you're, so, you're like on a ladder. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I asked him after you know him, his hand swelling mine in a, in, a, in a handshake. I was like, so, so who are your um, you know who are your top five players of all time? He's like, man, it hasn't changed since I was 15. And he said, let's see if I can remember. I think he said Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain uh bill russell oh my god and there's two others i was like wait a minute michael jordan Shaq. no it's like no 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 let me tell you again elgin baylor <laughs> oh, I jerry, love that. jerry west and he was like he would not budge i was like you know love larry michael you he's like nope let me tell you again <laughs> so yeah it was i love just-
0: i love how basketball players like you know, there's no NBA like their NBA. Like yeah, the NBA exactly. that they were in <laughs> is different. You know what I mean? Like if they see guys they're like, Oh, he wouldn't he wouldn't have lasted a second in my NBA. You know, like they're right. right. Doctor J is like, Yeah, you know, Michael, like they were doing cute stuff, but like in my league they <laughs> wouldn't have done it. You know, that's the energy and I love that.
1: You know, I are you into basketball at all? I am, yeah. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was like, Man, this is like the golden age of basketball now. And he's a big basketball fan. And I was like, What? What do you mean? But he said like, he's never seen people. I know we're off topic here. It's Broadway drumming podcast. No, I'm um, into podcast, it.
0: No, this is NBA drumming 101. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. We're merging
0: <laughs> the NBA and the
1: <laughs> National Drumming League. <laughs> That's right. NDL. NDL. Yep. <laughs> So he was saying because, you know, he's never seen anyone shoot like uh, James Harden. And uh, the stuff that I guess that people do nowadays is just on a whole nother level, whole nother level, whole other level than what he's no, seen before. You. Now, I don't know how necessarily true that is, but uh thing about it, if you have a team that can run like uh, the Lakers used to, you go down and score two points. Then you have the Golden State Warriors come down and you score three points. Who's going to win? The Golden State Warriors are going to win because they're scoring more points. And it's three- just the
0: odds. It's just the odds. I mean, they're just taking more threes. It's just a three-point game now. The it way is. that, you know, even even 10 years ago, it was in the paint way more. You know, mm-hmm. than now guys are just throwing, up, throwing them up from behind the arc because, I mean, the odds are in their favor, you know, just from a statistics standpoint that if they're shooting from back, there all game. They're more than likely to win because they're such amazing shooters. I know. You know, if you've ever like, I don't know, been like close to the court. I remember, I remember growing up and like, I was really into basketball and I went to some, it was like a Hartford Hawks basketball camp and Ray Allen came to like visit. And this was when he was on the bucks and we each got to like, guard him for like 30 seconds. That was like part of the part of the camp thing where like, you know, it was not, I mean, he was nine times my size. I was probably like four foot four at that point. You know what I mean? And he was just the way that he shot a three pointer. It was like a free throw, you know, like it was so effortless that you just think about, you know, the way that we're talking about preparing for a show so that the last thing you're thinking about is the music. The last thing he's thinking about is the shot. You know, he's just do, thinking about everything else. The guy that's coming at him, the person like kicking him in the nads. He's just able to like get off the shot perfectly because it's, you know, he spent the thousand hours, you know, it's amazing.
1: So you, you had a chance to guard him or try to guard him.
0: It was the type of situation where, you know, we're all like in seventh or eighth grade and, you know, you get to like run out and like feel what it's like to guard Ray Allen. But I couldn't even... Nobody even really guarded him. You just like walked out there, and he would be like, eh, "Pank," <laughs> you <know>? Wow. So <laughs> you'd you be play- like, if you put it on the ground, yeah. You play ball. I did, yeah, yeah. I played in high school. Mm. Yeah. What you? What position? It's all coming together. Yeah, shooting guard. Okay. Yeah, I was the two.
1: That's one thing I never really understood. I mean, I know we're kind of off topic, but
0: most did you, of you play, play in Manchester?
1: No, I didn't. My. <laughs> <laughs> my my th- my career ended, I think it was 1978. I went up against this guy. I think his name is Julio. I, f- I forgot his last name, but I, he had this afro, like, you know, massive afro. And, you know, I was it was auditions for the eighth grade uh, basketball team. And I, again, I thought I was Dr. J. I was four feet tall and I was dribbling, right? And it was just me against Julio, who was six feet at the time. I was like, what, what? Got to juke him. And I shot the ball and he hit the he hit the ball and it bounced into the stands up to like row F <laughs> I was like, House seats F that's the that's what wow. and, and they were like next so that was the end of my <laughs> career you were like come on julio <laughs> and Not i cool. i wound up just practicing after that and i started playing <clears throat> drums and here i am so yeah i will stay uh off the court, unless I'm playing with my son, who we <clears throat> play from time to time. Which I guess you'll oh, that's do too. awesome. You have a four year old
0: now. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And he's um, yeah. Right now he's like I'm trying to get him into like basketball. But he's so into animals that like you know I pass him the ball and he's like cheetah power and he's like <laughs> run away with the ball and I'm like all right you know that's cool you do you man. Is he into <laughs> Wild Kratts? So into Wild krats. That <laughs> is the number one. It goes in my house. It's like Chris Krat martin Kratt, mom dad in that order you know that's like that's the pecking order of of idols
1: oh yeah. man you know when my kids were young i used to listen to a lot of kids music i don't know why i did this like rafi and again these are bad people lori bruckner yeah. and all that stuff right. and i talked to a friend of mine he's like yeah we, we used to just listen to motown i was like why didn't i
0: think of that <laughs> you're over here like on adventures with the coolest creatures from the oceans <laughs> to the trees
1: <laughs> what's there other there are other tv shows uh wonder pets and oh my god i oh yeah i couldn't wait for them to like get off of this kid's music but now they're you know they, they started listening to some they, didn't, they don't like trap music. Like I can't stand it either, but thank God. I, 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 I grounded them properly with rap <clears throat> music. I was like, here, check this out. This is Grandmaster Flash. This is Run DMC. <laughs> this is the Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so they, they learned right. all the proper stuff. and they, no, they, I hear you. So, but now they listen to all the stuff. I don't even know what's... what's I, I can't say the right word. It's not hip. It's not cool. It's not lit anymore. Right. Fire
0: i don't know what it's the right uh, words. it's great <laughs> i think great i think great's gonna come back great's making a comeback
1: yeah that's great that's a great Anyway, oh, great what are some of the things that you're doing now musically that uh that you're looking forward to or that you've been working on
0: um i work with an artist named gideon king and he's got a great band he's a great guitarist and composer and He's got a band with three singers in it that are all super stellar. It's got Mike Stephenson, singer named Ashley Hess and another singer, Caleb Holly. and getting to work with that band. We just recorded some stuff in the studio last night. We're playing tonight in Brooklyn. Um, it's an exciting, exciting band to be a part of. Um, yeah. Just really excited. It's kind of like, like a newer Steely Dan-esque band. You know, it's kind of fusion kind of pop, um, all killing musicians in the group. So looking forward to, you know, more to come with that band, but I'm playing this weekend out at the Monterey jazz festival with, uh, a great composer that I've worked with for years named Miho Hazama and Miho <clears throat> writes some shit. She writes the hardest music you could imagine. And somehow it's complex and beautiful and ugly and sublime and has like, you know, it's, it's a real journey <laughs> learning her music and trying to execute it. And so she sent out some new charts, um, maybe like four days ago. And it's probably what, uh, you know, today's Wednesday, the gig, you know, we're going to rehearse on Friday out there and play the gig on Saturday. And that's what I was doing before we got on this call. It's just like learning this. I have it all like laid out over here. I'm just trying to like figure it out. It's, it's gnarly, man. There's just every way the music could be hard. is hard in that way. (laughs) It's like a Sudoku puzzle. Yeah. So I'm trying to just figure that stuff out. And we, um, we released a record last year called dancer in nowhere that was nominated for a Grammy and she's got this band called M unit. Um, and it's, it's cool. It's kind of like a large ensemble, but there's a string quartet. So there's like a string quartet and then maybe like eight horns and rhythm section. Um, But yeah. So I'm playing there this weekend, really excited. Um, you know, we're on on the same bill as like Herbie Hancock and George Benson and just excited to like see some music and be out there just taking it all in. I remember Monterey jazz festival has this killing, um, like Indian, uh, rap, uh, little cart that has like these chicken tikka masala non-raps. So I'm super excited about those too. And yeah, that's kind of, that's what's happening this week. (laughs)
1: Oh man, Monterey, California is beautiful.
0: I know. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited to be back there, and I have some friends that I haven't seen that moved out to San Francisco from Brooklyn a couple years ago. So just excited to like see some pals and trying to get this music learned so that I can have fun. Yeah, I hear you. I <laughs> hear not be you. super stressed.
1: People can find you on social media, but I've. I, I discovered one thing that was interesting in a in New York times article back in March of
0: 2014. <laughs> Very oh cool. My gosh. Man. Still, that <laughs> still comes up. Yeah. We, we had our, our wedding was, was put in the times. And so I feel like anytime anybody Googles me now, they're like, Oh, congrats on the wedding. I'm like, that was <laughs> like nine years ago. That was great.
1: Uh, so how I did that come it. about? I'm just curious. It's really interesting.
0: Um, they, the New York times uh, does an article maybe once a month or every week. I don't know what it is um, in the vows section um, where they give a shout out to a married couple. And so they pick one couple of the people who, you know, just submit their names, like, you know, Jake and Kate Goldbats are getting married on March 3rd or, you know, um, maybe it was the second or <laughs> third. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble now, but she <laughs> basically, my my wife submitted our names and because she's an opera singer I'm a jazz drummer. We met at, you know, a Manhattan school music. Uh, We had kind of, you know, an interesting backstory we got reached out to by a New York times reporter who wanted to do like a full, you know, a full spread on the wedding and our story. So, you know, in the midst of, you know, the week before you get married, everything is so crazy. And in the midst of all that, it was like this times reporter, we had to like meet her at a coffee shop and talk to her with the recorder on and about how we met and, then the you know the reporter was at our wedding and yeah so it was that's that's kind of how it came about but it was it was like the last the last thing you need is something else to do the week of your wedding you know there's a million people reaching out to you saying asking the questions and stuff and now you gotta like you know go and talk to this reporter but it's really a great way to like memorialize you know that day yeah that day was
1: actually march 2nd because I, I remember specifically.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> no. See I knew that and I wanted to see how deep he went into the article because I love March 2nd. Every time March 2nd <laughs> comes around, I think I love I love you, Kate. And that's what, you know, that's what happens.
1: Yes. This is dedicated to yeah. you, Kate. And he remembers that's that there right. was a 19 piece orchestra there too. So.
0: Hey, that's right. Yep. That's <laughs> as I'm, so funny. As I'm
1: reading the thing. Right <laughs>
0: <now>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It says that Jake. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that.
1: Uh, so anyway, outside of that, where can people find you on social media?
0: Um, so I think the best ways to find me on social media are probably Instagram at jake goldbass is my name uh g-o-l-d-b-a-s or um i just started um giving kind of tutorials through a new app called Muse school m-u school and it's basically kind of like cameo but for musicians so you can reach out with a question and i can respond in a five minute video or just a chat and so it's all through the Muse school app Um, so yeah you can find me on Muse school or instagram or facebook you know anyway Great.
1: Very nice talking to you and getting to know you, you a little too. bit better. And uh, I wish you well on your show out there in California.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's nice to get to actually spend some time with you. I feel like our lives are so busy. Just getting to sit down and talk to you is a real treat for, for this time. So, yeah, yeah make, thanks for make, doing this and making a space. And I'll see you on the Broadway campus in December. I uh, know. I'll see you next door. <laughs> we'll be coming out of the stage door. Like, oh, yeah. How are you getting home? Okay, yeah. <laughs> A train's delayed. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it always seems to be, man. Good. good
0: I know. Man. I look forward to that kind of monotony. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, anyway, man. Thanks again, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch
0: soon. All right. All the best. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming One Hundred and One Podcast. Head over to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page where you'll find unedited conversations that I've had with some of your favorite musicians. On the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more.